You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This is episode number 22 of Living the Dream with Rory O'Malley. If you like the podcast, please remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Audition, side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Rory O'Malley, your host of Living the Dream. Thanks for joining us. We got a big, big guest. <laughs> Um, (laughs) my buddy Josh Gad and I don't, (laughs) I'm sorry, I, uh, I clearly don't plan what I'm going to say on these introductions (laughs) and, uh, um, of course when I say big, I mean big star. Josh and I are both husky gentlemen, so I can laugh about that. Um... Josh and I went to college together. He's one of my closest friends. He is like a brother to me. And getting to sit him down and have a conversation with him about his career, his life was great. But I was also worried it was going to be boring for me because I've had this conversation with him many times. But it was entertaining and uh, a joy to do probably because he was so eager to do it. He has begged me to be on the podcast since the moment I started it six months ago. And I'm not kidding. He would ask me, when am I going to be on the podcast? When are you going to have me on? I was like, you're in London filming. And he's like, well, we can do it. We can do it online. We can do Skype. I, I, I was like, calm down. You're on a world press tour. Why are you concerned about being on my podcast? But uh, you'll see it it was a really great um, conversation between two old friends. And as much as I respect him for his career and who he is as an actor, I have even more respect for him as a father and a husband and for the family that he has. He and his wife and his daughters have treated my husband, Gerald, and I like family. And I would not be where I'm at without Josh. So I'm, I'm excited to get to share this conversation with my, my pal, Josh Gad. Please enjoy this very large star. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know we started. I'm sorry. No, we did start. I wouldn't have outed we, you. We started just... 30 minutes ago. Oh, great. Mm. We're halfway through. This has been <laughs> the best interview I've ever given. I am. Well, that's that's a easy bar. Mm-hmm. Um, hi, Josh Gad. Hi, Rory O'Malley. Okay, you've already blown out the mic. Is it bad? Yeah, it's bad. You are already the worst interview I've ever had. Hi, Rory O'Malley. I was thinking... From Carnegie Mellon. I know how exciting this is that we get to, for you, for you yes, to do my podcast because you've been begging me. I have been begging you. That's yeah. not, actually, that's not a joke. It's not a joke. I've been very insulted by the fact that you've asked literally everybody from every background, people that like... I've been looking for people that I'm interested in. No, I, get, I can see that. People who excite me, people who inspire me. And I can see that you ran through that list... <laughs> 
it took you a while and now you're well i know that when i asked seth you really really hurt i know really broke my heart a little bit (laughs) you were pissed you texted me immediately like Like, well when am i going to be on this i just i introduced you to seth half the people you've interviewed i've introduced that's now that is no that's i introduced you to to seth your husband i introduced you okay keep going to your mother oh that's true i I introduced you before to so many people who have gotten to do this show before I have. <laughs> I'm really, it hurts. Well, and I actually was on are. the phone with my agent this morning being like, I f- I'm finally doing it. I know. Really excited. I know. It's a big break. It and is. as I said, if you would have done this before Beauty and Beast opened, mm-hmm. you guys would have hit a billion in the first weekend. That's what what's so heartbreaking. You and don't think I get a call every day from Emma Watson going... <laughs> Why Why didn't you do it? And I said, it's booked. not my fault. I was booked solid. I know. I'm sorry, Josh. I'm sorry, Emma. <sighs> um, no, I'm really glad you're... This is, by the way, really... my podcast breath. <sighs> it's good. It sounds you, like an NPR breath. You get breath. very good podcast <sighs> breath. It's a hot mic. I can hear it. It's great. You're a hot Rory. I can hear you. <laughs> sorry, just going so poorly. Um... No, no, I, I think this is great that we're doing this, but I am worried it's going to be... It's definitely the most boring episode for me. Right. I already know what you're going to You know everything say. that I'm going to say. I, have, <laughs> I really... I have no I questions for you. I understand your concerns about having me on because you do know all my secrets already. I do. And it's, and it's not fun for you because there's nothing to learn. What I would say is this is more about me than it is about you. There's some Isn't things, it always, Josh? Yes. There are some things that I want to air Isn't out. Isn't it always? There are some things that I want to air out. And what better way to do that than on your okay, show? Okay, and we're not going to bring up college stories. We not on this not. interview. Literally every interview we've given together, or really separately, anytime you can put it in, you try to embarrass me with college stories, because and I'm not going to have it. your behavior in college was reprehensible, <laughs> and I want the world to know what you did. I did nothing. I was no. an upstanding this is, co- collegiate these all, all-star. These are all lies. Do not trust they them. They can hear you. You don't have to get so close. <laughs> um, all right. So this is called Living the Dream, mm-hmm. Josh. It's about the ups and downs of this crazy business that we're in. And you've seen some high highs. Everyone knows about those high highs, but they don't know about your lows. lows. I've seen you in those lows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, this is actually a true story. So when I was, do you remember this for sure. Um, about, I, I was, I had a healthy ego coming out of college, mm-hmm. uh, as you remember, mm-hmm. uh, which is, a, you know, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing for me. It was a, an awful thing because I was just like, oh, the world's going to be handed to me on a silver platter. And do you remember what my dream was? What did I want to do straight out of college? Be on SNL. SNL. That yeah. was it. Like, one we watched the, track mind. the 25th anniversary. anniversary on a, a Saturday night yeah. in Hammerschlag mm-hmm. uh, together. It was just me and you. We were like, this is history. We have to watch this. Like, We loved SNL, and you were like, I'm going to be I'm on gonna it. I'm going to be on it. And what was so interesting is they didn't share the same ambition. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I don't know who thinks to themselves, oh, let me go to a four-year conservatory program that'll be a great outlet to getting onto saturday night live but i had a very one-track mind and i was sort of bouncing back and forth between new york and los angeles remember right and do you remember Uh, what you said to me i i vaguely remember what did you say 
Because I can tell you verbatim. Well, then just tell me. You said... I thought you knew all the answers already. I thought that's why you didn't want me on this show. Well, I, you know, they've heard me speak, Josh. <laughs> You're the guest. I'm you being polite. Said, you, Rory O'Malley said to me, you got to stop running away and find a home. You got you to gotta find consistency. You got to make your roots somewhere. That's what you said. And so I was offered this small play in Los Angeles and our friend, our mutual friend, Ryan Dixon, was directing. Right. And um, he's like, come do this show, Josh. It'll be fun. That's an excellent and Ryan Dixon you. impression. And so I did it. And I wound up meeting my future wife at the time. And it was the gateway to the consistency that would help define my career choices moving forward. Then th- there is one sort of constant in my life that that I can mark as uh, a way that I sort of got from point A to point B to point C, and that's Rory O'Malley. That's true, because you were also one of the first people who came up to me and said, I just saw this incredible show on Broadway. Yes. Oh, I definitely... And you I'm said, still waiting on that commission. And you said to me, you'll never see any of that. And you said to me... <laughs> Um, you need to be seen for this. I, I saw I saw it in previews. Mm-hmm. You saw it in previews. I got a call from you. I got a call from Ben Wexler, another, uh, not Ben Wexler, Ben Peltison. Yes. Uh, ben Peltison and you, another Ben was another person we went to school with. And both of you said, there's this role, William Barfay, that brilliant Dan Fogler is playing. And when he's done, you have to do it. And I was like, there's no way they're going to see me for a musical. Uh-huh. Um. I didn't say that you have to do it. I said, you're the only person right. who can do it. I was like, this man is giving a incredibly unique performance and the only other person. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd never seen anyone attempt to give that kind of comedic performance in a show. And I was like, you're the only person I know weird enough who's to weird be, enough to who, be able to whose sensibility uh, in in front of an audience would go to that place and and I you was were right. and you were right and you were <laughs> absolutely right and you and I were blessed enough to do it together right I mean what's the the craziest thing that I still don't understand well up until Hamilton you cheating bastard yeah but up well until then I was with Leslie so but then you like were with Leslie that's right yeah but. We had done, or I've done every single Broadway show with you. Yes, two. All of them I did with you. <laughs> All two of them I did with yes. you. Yes, so, so Spelling Bee, you, mm-hmm. you were in it on Broadway. You made your Broadway stage debut. I made my Broadway debut going on for, for you me. as Barfay. And you killed it. I heard. Oh, I, yeah. I saw you the show weren't there. Report. You were auditioning for 21. Was I auditioning for 21? Or was I auditioning for... Avatar. 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 Oh, so it was a failed audition. (laughs) It was a failed audition. Oh, that's even better. (laughs) They flew me out to LA to audition for for James Cameron for Avatar. And I still remember the audition uh, piece that I had to do. I was a translator for the Navi. Okay. And I had to say, Auve ut aria yohengehi nao malir tok CVE. And I remember that because I had to work with a linguist. What? To learn it, and then and that's gibberish. They, well, it's not like gibberish. It's Navi. It's a real beautiful language that they speak on this other planet, Pandora. Okay. All right. And so um, I 
did this and I was so confident because she's like, oh, James Cameron said to me, you know, what's so great about you when you when you do this movie is you come from the stage and so much of what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to imagine. And then uh, I didn't get it, <laughs> suffice it to say. And I imagine that they like tried to test out what I would look like as an as like a Navi and I probably looked like a fat Smurf. So no, wait, like you were going to be a Navi? I was, so I was going to be Sam Worthington's best friend. Okay. Who they wound up casting like a tall, skinny dude. Right. And I, I, and he, you know, they have to plug in and become like, they wear those like Navi suits or whatever. And they become oh, like Navi. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, okay. So I would have been one of those, but I, I have a feeling that they saw that merchandise sales would go way down. <laughs> that were to happen maybe you can get a job at uh the disney avatar land yeah avatar land maybe it's at disney right it's at disney world animal kingdom should i do it yeah walk around is like a. we can definitely get you like a leotard yeah blue paint for the face there's gonna be like 12 more avatars right you still have i still have a shot you still have time once they make it a musical i think you're in um. <laughs> so it's actually they have made a me. It's called Blue Man Group. It actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So we we are in Spelling Bee, mm-hmm. which was crazy because and that was two thousand five, two thousand six. <sighs> it was a long time. Ago, and I almost Josh. quit the business. Remember before I almost quit the business before. Not, not once you got Spelling Bee. No, I almost quit right before right. Spelling Bee because I thought me. You know what? Maybe. I'll go to law school. And my mom said to me, I called her up to tell her this thing. She was going to be so proud. And she started crying. And she said, I'm disappointed in you. And I said, why? And she said, you've spent 15 years dreaming of doing this and only three years living out that dream. And I think that that's unfair to do to yourself. And like a month later, I got spelling me. Right. So, no, I mean, it's... I so mean, it's really all... because of you and my mother. Yeah. We are a team, um, and we deserve all the credit. Uh, I, but it's funny because everyone has that story of being in that place where they're like, "This is I, it's too much. I'm it's giving much. this this up. This is it's overwhelming because that when you're in that spot, and it can happen at any point in your career, your it's, journey. You know what? It's really good, I, I, and I'll tell you why. I there's nothing to harden you more than rejection. Mm. And I say that as, as somebody who's been rejected as recently as last week for a role that I wanted, you know, you, you never stop dealing with rejection, but at a certain point you can contextualize it. And at a certain point, you're not training yourself for success. You're training yourself to ride the highs and the lows so that you find a happy medium right. where it's not so um, manic. Right. You know? Every job or audition isn't life or death. It's just It becomes work. It, at a certain the... point, it becomes, I'm blessed to be doing what I'm doing. 
let me put this money away because who knows? I'm banging on the table and yes. Rory's telling me that that's completely not going to work. It sounds great when you drum at Sirius Satellite table. Radio. By the way, you can get away with any of these. You can because they but have they're actual not technology. Okay, let's not get on my, my mic. Is a beautiful thing. So you you sort of train yourself to to deal with that, and and I didn't realize at the time because I I was getting rejected on pretty much a daily basis for things. Mm. You know how useful and important that was. Right. Well, I remember that period of time so well and what you were going through, not just because we were so close, but I remember, you know, I have always, and I'm only going to say this once, I'm not going to dwell on this. I can't wait I always had a huge amount of respect for you Thank and your you talent. Don't worry. <laughs> the feeling is very mutual. Okay. Let's not get too crazy. Love you. Um, I couldn't do this podcast all the time now. <laughs> I'll only say nice things if it's being recorded. Um, but I, you know, I was working in restaurants. I was struggling. I wasn't, you know, getting anywhere. And I wasn't even getting into the auditions to be rejected, you know. And uh, I looked to you and saw that you were having a hard time, that you were, it was, you know, difficult for you. And I thought, you know, if Josh is having a hard time, it's okay that I'm having a hard time. And I mean that in the sense that I looked to your talent and to your what your career was going to be oh. from the beginning, knowing that it was just a given, that it was going to be something that was realized, and that if it was going to take time for this industry to figure out who you were and how to bring you into uh, the business, then it certainly was going to take me some more time. Thank, that means the world coming from you. And, and, I, and I'll say that what I think what you and I figured out early on, which I would, I always try to tell anybody who's young and who wants to do this, which is a very, it's a rough path. Yes. It's, and, you, and you feel like you are told that so yes. much before you get into it. Yeah. And you, you, you don't know. You don't know. The one thing that I think you and I did really well was we created our own opportunities as often as we could. And I think that that is so important. Nobody's going to serve you, you know, your career on a silver platter. It just no. doesn't happen. And so what you have to do is you have to generate, you know, what you've done so brilliantly with your cabarets. And, you know, even early on when you came out here, you found the Trubies and you mm. joined them. And you, the theater company the, that I worked you, with. You made, you made your own path. You made... Uh, you know, you did Groundlings. Both of us did. And, oh yeah, which our Groundlings class failed. Enterprise, with Seth. by the way, with Seth, Seth Gable, was in it. It was right. me, you, and Seth. All and stars. we didn't. We didn't make it. No, we didn't make it. They were like, uh, no. no, we didn't make it. Now not through, not through, <clears throat> through the first class, the first session. Like we, it's not like we, yeah. No, we just, there, there was no. We were never going to join their like troop. They were like, oh no, you're um, even. With the money that you want to pay us, we won't accept it because yeah, you're trash. They wouldn't take our you're money. terrible. Um, <laughs> so you know, but but generating your own opportunities is it's everything, and and I feel like you know you say yes, you just say yes. Okay, well that's the difference between me and you and what you're saying. I do say yes. I say yes to anything. You got a job, I'll take it. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> I don't think that, I think that I've gotten better at creating my own opportunities, but I think it's the scariest thing for me and I have to push myself constantly. Yeah. You, on the other hand, 
have written, produced, forced your way into so many things <laughs> and situations. And it has always been so impressive to me. And, and, and that's like when we were at college, you always, every year, yeah. did, a, did a show that you wrote, that you produced, that you had seniors when we were sophomores yeah, working was- on. You always, you're never afraid to extend what your idea is to a group of people around you, artists, and kind of make it a collaborative effort and say, hey guys, this is what we're doing now. And I've always been so impressed with that. I always found myself, all of a sudden I'm playing Dick Cheney in your oh, You were the most brilliant show. Dick Cheney. Well, Do you remember your song? I don't. I don't either. I remember I had multiple heart attacks. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, again, I felt like at Carnegie Mellon, there was an amazing opportunity because of the sheer collection of talented people around us Mm -hmm. that we didn't necessarily have many opportunities to all work together on stuff. And I thought, what a brilliant collection of talent. What, what You know, we have all of these things at our disposal. And so you just pick up a typewriter or a computer and a pen and paper and you just start writing. Okay, sure. But what where I stop is I'm scared. The fear. The fear of this is whatever I'm writing shouldn't be released to the public, for God's sakes. Like... What is it in you that was so fearless from the get-go? I think, obviously, your high school experience and uh, your speech uh, career, you you were a national champion uh, how many times? Th- three times. Three and times. and it was... Um, that definitely helped. I mean, I would say, you know, speech and debate was great because it's competitive. Yeah. So, you, you, you again, you're dealing with rejection you're dealing with trying to rise above a lot of talented people who are also vying for that same championship and i think in some ways that did harden me um i have an incredible fear of failure Mm -hmm. you know it, it is painful to do something that is not well received it is painful to do something that falls flat on its face I'll never forget my first time on The Daily Show. Um, I was so terrified. And in hindsight, I can say I was absolutely awful. I mean, awful. And I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And I had two choices. I could either give up and say, I'm never going to be good enough, or I could learn from it, watch it like a sports player would do. Watch it and say, how can I make this better? What could I do to make this better? And then the second opportunity I got, I said, I'm not going to waste it. And I felt like it was the best thing I, I, I had ever done on The Daily Show to this day. And it was this gun piece that I got to do mm-hmm. that was, you know, about um, it was about guns as an investment. And I was just true to myself. I wasn't trying to be, you know, Stephen Colbert. I wasn't trying to be, you know, any of these other guys. I was trying to be Josh Gad and right. do what I could do. And so 
I'm right there with you. I'm always terrified. I'm always terrified that I'm going to not be good enough. But I'm at a point, or I got to a point um, along the way where I said to myself, okay, that could have been better. I'm going to, I won't know if it'll fail though, unless I try it. And that's where I'm at now. You know, I just, I have to try. Some things work, some things don't. Right. You know, but you keep trying. Right. If you don't try, you're not going to find out either way. Exactly. Yeah. But I, I feel like that's something that I've been able to learn and and grow in. I just feel like you had that at 18. I really feel that. Like, okay. I, I, I feel like it's a huge part of your success is that even through that fear, you have the courage just to like walk right through it and not give a damn what anybody thinks about you artistically. You. I think, I think, you know, look, I think some of it is luck. I think I've been very fortunate. Uh, you know, I think we both have been very fortunate. Yeah. Right place, right time. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think to a certain extent, you know, there's a fearlessness that you have to have. Mm-hmm. That you just have to have. And <clears throat> I still get terrified. I still get so... when I Before I walk out onto a stage, I'm always so nervous. Right. I'm, I'm, I don't want to screw this up. Me too. You know? And, and it doesn't matter that I've done it hundreds, if not a th- over a thousand times. Yeah. I'm still scared. It's part of the reason I haven't gotten back on a stage since Book of Mormon mm-hmm. is I'm worried about the expectation of following up something like that. You have literally been <laughs> blessed with being in the biggest shows of all time, one by one by one. It's it's scary for me because I, I don't know how to follow that up and I desperately want to. And I know we always talk about wanting to do something again together. And, and, and so that... Even though I am fearless to a certain extent, I'm not. I'm still always afraid. I'm still, you know, better than anyone. Mm-hmm. I'm a neurotic mess. Right. And my neuroses True. are worn on my sleeve. Well, that's what makes it more impressive to me, though. I, I, you know, no one is without fear. It's if you step through it, if you can get to the other side of it and actually right. conquer it. And that's what makes it more impressive and courageous. And I think you've. I think you've always had that in a way that is just like, it's, it was astounding to me from a young age and it's always inspired me and I'm done complimenting Okay, you. good. Because it's making me really um, uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so you you go through the spelling bee. You, you have the Avatar audition. Does it go well? <laughs> James Cameron <laughs> does the old switcheroo with the tall old skinny guy. Switcheroo. But you do get uh, a movie, 21, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you are in uh, TV film world. Yeah. And what was that transition like? And What well, was interesting? So going from stage to TV and film was a, um, it was a, a shock to the system in some ways because, you know this, Carnegie, as amazing as it is, trains you for one thing really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it comes to film and television, I think it's changed since we went to school. When we, we went 70 years ago. When we went 70 years ago. But, you know, it, it's it's a different beast altogether, right? Yeah. So 
you know, I didn't necessarily know what hitting my marks meant. And like, there's a lot of learning curves. So I sort of, I, I fell into 21, which was a great success. And then I did a show called Back to You on TV, which... Um, Kelsey Grammer, Patricia Heaton. Yeah, Ty Burrell. Ty Burrell. Fred right. Willard, the, yeah. the creative team behind Modern Family. It had every recipe for success. Yeah. Except for one thing. It wasn't a success. And well, it was also during the writer's so strike. So it was during the writer's strike. And within one week... I had my wedding, my show was canceled, and my grandmother died suddenly in her sleep. And again, I was back to square one. I felt like everything I had worked towards, everything that I had thought was now finally like I'm good, mm-hmm. it all had been upended. Mm-hmm. And I was um, sort of felt like I was back to square one. I also had kind of fallen into this, not trap, but I'd fallen into this proverbial, you know, typecasting that worried me a little bit of playing the best friend or that nerdy guy. Right. And I got nervous about that. And um, around that time, I got a phone call saying uh, from Bobby Lopez saying, I'm working on this new musical. Had you, did you know him? So I'll tell you the story. So Bobby calls me up and he goes, I'm working on this new musical with the creators of South Park about Mormons. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, they're adapting the Mormon episode of South South Park. Park, And they want me to play Cartman or something. And so I'm like, oh, that'll be fun. Bobby apparently heard this album that we did for... Oh, yeah. Carol's for a Cure. And he was blown away by my voice. And he's like, oh, this guy can really pull this off. He's incredible. Right. It was only later that he realized that the person he listened to was not me. It was an actor named Barrett Foa. <laughs> and I was the one who was like doing a bad Bono impression on the um, album instead. So thank you, Barrett, for uh, getting me Book of Mormon. I owe you. Uh, big time. Um, but I got this call and uh, they send me the demo and the first song comes on and it's, hello, my name is, and I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. Second song is two by two. We got, and I'm like, this is brilliant. And then he gets to a song called Vasadiga Ilahai. Mm-hmm. And I listened to that song and I remember stopping it and feeling sick to my stomach and calling up my agent and saying, I don't know if I can do this. And he said, why? And he goes, because I'll get shot in the face. The things that they're saying about God are not... So he didn't tell you that that was... No. On, wow. No. Huh. So I was like, uh, this is not good. Because you can get away with it in animation. But live performers performing for a live audience... Yeah, that was the big a, question. A very big question. I show up to the first rehearsal, and guess who's there? <laughs> and what Rory won't tell you, because he's so modest is Rory shows up to that first rehearsal with our other friend, Will Taylor, Mm -hmm. who did the first Mm -hmm. one with us, who also went to Carnegie with us. And he was in the ensemble. And Trey and Matt immediately were so blown away by him that they created the role of Elder McKinley specifically for Rory O'Malley. That role never existed and then they saw Rory performing, and he had such a spark 
and charisma about him. And was so gay. And was so gay <laughs> that they were like, we need to create an entire role. And and up until the very last, um, up until like the last week before we opened, they were still trying to shoehorn more and more songs in for Rory because they were... Rory was so brilliant that they just kept trying to well, write more and they more. De- we definitely had some li- like uh, cut songs, cut zero, little ditties. Yeah, zero there was baptisms. baptisms. <laughs> yeah, that did it. We 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 almost had a little ditty in there for for McKinley, uh, but it, it was it was a a crazy experience it was a creatively crazy experience. because it was three years. We did three readings. Two workshops, yeah, and every single one was like, "This is unbelievably good," and and but it still felt like, "Is this going to happen? Is this going to happen?" And even if it does happen, it, is anyone going to see it? Like, I, you know that I was. Oh, you you had the most pessimistic view. Of I was so pessimistic. I said. I knew I had to do it. I knew it was beyond special. Yeah, we all knew that it was so good. But I thought it was going to get picketed. Remember, I was terrified about security. Shock. Uh, (laughs) um, And so I was like, are we going to survive this if we do it? Um, And I also thought South Park fans will come, but will New York audiences, will tourists come to see I And I totally thought the same thing. You know, I always... Tell the story like Gerald asked me how long I thought Book of Mormon would run before like, we opened, and I said if we run a year, I would I be thought so six months, happy. Yeah. And he was like, "You're an idiot. It's going to run forever. It's brilliant." And I, you know, <clears throat> I agree. I and know. and Trey and Matt never bat an eye. No, they knew. They were like, "Just trust us. It's going to work." Well, and, and it, it's also I think because they certainly didn't write something that was like. This will be the formula for something that will run forever. Right. They wrote like, oh, wow, you mean there's no censors and we can do whatever we want to tell this story and just make... They're they're only concerned about storytelling. Even more so, I think, than being funny. It is. We, you know, we had the most incredible creative team uh, behind that show. I mean, from going, going to the top, from Ann Garfino, who produced it, to Scott Rudin, to... You know, Bobby and Trey and Matt, they all complemented each other really well. Yeah. And I think that the special secret sauce is that each of them was the right person for the right job, all working in conjunction together. A big shout out has to go to Jason Moore as well, Uh who directed the first two uh, or three workshops. Uh, Readings, uh, yeah. Readings. Uh, who I think really helped shape it to some extent and sure. give it that heart that it has. Yeah. And then, of course, Casey Nicola comes in and, and does his brilliant thing with it uh, and really, you know, helped elevate it. Well, I always say, like, he gave it a shot of adrenaline in its arm and it, it like, really took off. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was. I mean, once once we once we got to that final workshop and Stephen Sondheim was in the audience. Oh, my God. For a workshop... You know, it was like undeniable that exactly. we were a part of something that was extraordinary. It was extraordinary. Uh, Stephen Aremus as well, a, a huge uh, contributor to. Yes, he's been on the podcast. So. I know he has. I know everybody has. Everyone has. For me. Um, yes. So you know, 
it was this turning point in all of our lives because it had answered that question that I had been searching for, which was now I found success, but how do I get out of this sort of bubble that I'm in of, of people coming to me for these same roles that just wasn't fun. And Elder Cunningham was everything that I do, you know? Right. But it is actually, it's funny, that's literally what the story is. You being, coming out of the shell of just being the sidekick best friend and becoming and the, the leader. leader of the show. That's right. the story. <clears throat> it is the story. I have to admit something. Okay. Okay. And I don't know if I've told you this. I may have. I have based, loosely, two roles on Rory O'Malley in my career. This is true. I think you've said this recently. I did say it and, recently. And, and, and somebody, but I don't think I, I don't know what you're talking I don't think about. I've you never spoken said that to you me. about it. No, you haven't. So, so I, you, this is like lawsuit. I, lawsuit. This is story. lawsuit time. I based the voice of Cunningham, that sort of <laughs> oh shucks Midwesterner kind of thing, uh, on you. On your impression of me. On my impression of you. That is correct. And the first time I sat down with the script and I was trying to figure out how, who is this guy? What do I want him to sound like? And it, you know, my impression of Rory was always, hi, I'm Rory. I'm That kind of thing. I'm from Cleveland. And so I was absolutely um, plugged in to that. Right. The second role that I based on you is completely based on you can you guess no i don't know what you're talking i'll about. give you a hint hi i'm olaf no completely based on you. <laughs> you there's nobody i know who's more pure okay well innocent. now we're, i'm definitely getting my lawyers involved I, I mean this is you should be grateful i mean look i'm giving you <laughs> but i i based olaf on you okay. because you have a purity about is you. this about how pasty white i am it is it is about the fact that he you melt in heat and you're completely and very round. But um no, I when you know when the director said to me, find the most joyous, innocent, um, naivete that you can tap into, the image that came to me was you. And I was like, Okay. The most naive person. The you most know? naive person that I know. And and it really was um I'm very grateful because you you have helped me create probably my two most iconic roles. That's so wonderful. I'm so glad that uh, <laughs> you got those jobs that you were like, wow, who would be perfect for this? <laughs> Rory. Okay, that's all right. No, I, I had to come clean. I appreciate that. That's that's a beautiful. I'm sure you've based thing. something on me that is offensive. And- Nothing. I would right. ne- I just haven't right. really gotten into the, like the darker roles yet. Yeah, yeah you will. I will. You'll one play day. A, you'll play a Jewish like a murderer. Yeah, a really dark, neurotic, sinister. crazed killer. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what it's you coming. do. Um, so yeah, so I did Book of Mormon with you, and it changed our lives. Um, we were suddenly everywhere. We were the, you know, toast of the town. And it was people coming up to us and being like, oh, you know, what do you want to do? And and um, 
And with that kind of attention, what do you want to do next? Like, what, what do you want to do next? Yeah, which is which is uh, you know, I when Nikki was on again, another person who's on before you, uh, we talked a lot about that pressure. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it, it's, it's that is that sounds great, but it's it's actually very tricky. Yeah, and I made some wrong decisions. Um, you know, I I sort of did stuff that was I thought safe or I thought was you know oh let me get a paycheck let me do that instead of stuff that felt like it was coming from the right place like I was making choices that were going to help you know tell a sort certain story of what I wanted to do with my career right um and so you know I was very proud of the fact that I helped create a show called 1600 Pen, which you were brilliant on. And I was very proud of, you know, the fact that I did some of these movies. But at a certain point, I did them for the wrong reasons. I did. I wasn't. I wasn't after creating something that was creatively as appealing to me as it as I think it might otherwise have been. And that was a really valuable lesson, because uh, when you do that, it backfires sometimes. And, uh, you know. It was, and sometimes you'll go in with the best intentions, you know, and, and you'll think this is really special. This is really different and it still doesn't work and that's okay. But the motto of my life has always been take risks. And I felt like during that particular period of time after Mormon, which was at that point, the biggest risk I had taken because I turned down a lot of TV opportunities to do Book of Mormon for minimal paycheck as you Mm know. Yeah. Um, I stopped living by that motto and fell into a little bit of a rut where I wasn't necessarily content with some of the things that I was doing. But it's so hard to come to the moment of a Book of Mormon or something that is like the the world is being presented to you and not feel after knowing how hard and long it took for you to get there, not being like, I have to jump at the first opportunity yeah. that comes along because I know how precious this moment yeah. is and that it can go away like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, that was really tricky. I mean, it, it was... I would do things differently, probably. I don't regret anything. I had the best time on all the projects that I did, but, it, but I definitely... Um, I definitely was a hamster in a wheel. Mm-hmm. And I was chasing something that wasn't there. Yeah. Um, so it, you know, so I went through that period, and um, and then I was blessed enough to get um, another incoming phone call. I had done a reading before Book of Mormon of a a, a Disney project called Anna and the Snow Queen. And at the time, the music was by Alan Menken, and it was a completely different story. Huh. Uh, they weren't Anna and Elsa were not sisters. Um, in fact, the only consistency was probably this little snowman character that they had called Olaf, who was like a henchman for Elsa in the original right. script. That project goes away because um, Princess and the Frog wasn't the gigantic hit that they were hoping for, and so it sort of put this, um, it, it, they started to worry about making princess movies. Right. 
And then um, Tangled comes along mm. and does incredibly well. And then once again, this Anne and the Snow Queen project is greenlit. And so I get this call to do this. And at the time, I'm supposed to do this other project for DreamWorks. Right. And basically, they um, Jeffrey Katzenberg um, it, it doesn't want me to do both. For obvious reasons, they're going to come out within a month of each other. And my team says to me, you can't do both. It's one or the other, and you're doing this other project. And so this is what I mean by taking chances. Right. So I said to them... I'm not willing to take no for an answer. And I called up Jeffrey Katzenberg myself, which was... Okay, remember when we were talking about the, like, fear thing? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, this is, when it, sure. this is when it comes in handy. Okay. And I'm like, nobody's going to defend myself better than me. And mm-hmm. I really want to do this. Right. And so I called him up and I said, look, this is something that I really want to do as a favor to Bobby Lopez and his wife, Kristen, who are now writing the music. We just worked together on Book of Mormon. It is not the lead character. It is definitively a side character. Is there any way that you can let me do both? I would be forever grateful. And he was generous enough to say, yes, there is a way. If you don't do publicity, you don't do marketing, I'll let you do it. And my heart sort of sank a little bit. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, it's it's something. And I went back to my agent and I told him this and he goes, there's no way that they will agree to this at Disney. And God bless the incredible John Lasseter. Wow. Cause he took that challenge and he ran with it and he said, all right, well, if that's the case, then we'll make it a thing where people will have to guess who played Olaf and it'll be, we'll, we'll make it a fun thing. And somehow convince the lawyers at Disney to allow it to happen. And thank God, because the other project disappeared and Frozen became Frozen. Um, And so it was a very um, crazy and tumultuous experience, but ultimately uh, wound up being one of the, again, one of the great uh, moments in my career. So it... But okay, okay. You know, that that stresses me out just hearing that story. Like how... When you get on the phone yeah. with Jeffrey Katzenberg, how do you find the composure or the self-worth to say, we got to do this? And, 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 and Because to me, right. as an actor, I think there are a thousand people they could get to do this. They don't need me. Where do you... I mean, obviously that builds as you, you get more and more it secure does, but, with yourself, you know, but you know what I'm talking about? Like, do you remember what happened when I was first offered Spelling Bee in San Francisco? Yes, I do. I turned it down. Yes, you turned down. I'm crazy. So yes, like, you no, are. I would not recommend this. Like, I was not a non-working, I was not a working actor. Right. And they offered me Spelling Bee in San Francisco. And I don't know where these balls came from, but I had the gall to say no. Right. Because I was like, if I'm not doing it on Broadway, this isn't the career path that I want. I don't want to travel and do a tour. That's not what I want to do. Right. And I was such an egotistical bitch for even thinking <laughs> that I was worth 
the time of day to say no to them. Well, it worked. It did work, but that could have backfired greatly and almost Because, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm the yes guy. I would have said, yes, and you need me to hand out flyers in between shows. Yes. Well, you like, know, that's, that, I, at, I, at a certain point, you just, you stare opportunities in the eye and you say, look, what's the pros and cons of this? And I always go through the pros and cons. And for me, the worst that could happen if I called up, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg, uh, was he'll say no. Right. And and that's where I was anyway. And sometimes it's worth the risk and sometimes it's worth the shot. And in that case, it was. And again, it could have backfired. Yeah. But, you know, life comes at you fast and you just have to make a decision and you have to allow yourself to put yourself in a situation where you know it could fail. Right? Right. And I don't... <clears throat> again, I think the, the more... I do this, the more at peace I am with failing, the more I'm willing to put myself out there knowing that I could fall flat on my face. Right. Um, And so that was one of those things where I was like, let me weigh it out. And there weren't, it couldn't, I I was sitting on a no anyway. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't like it's going to, you know, if I got another no, it's it's going to make a difference. It's not going to make it worse. But... You do the the movie Frozen, and it turns into not just a hit, but something that revitalizes an entire medium of Disney animated. Well, I don't know about that. I mean, it, uh, Tangled had come out before Wreck-It yeah, Ralph. Yeah, but <clears throat> but it, it, yes, those are big movies. But like, it, it, it look, it, it was and is a like Mormon. Pop cultural phenomenon. Yeah. That can't be disputed. And with that, it is always a very strange thing, especially walking down the street and seeing kids recognize you for voice work that you've done, which is very surreal. Or walking through Disneyland. Right. Which I've done with you. (laughs) I was like, oh, please, Josh, no one's going to know that it's you and that it was like swarms. Oh, it's surreal. And, and, you know, it's something that I pinch myself that I get to to, to be that uh, for so many kids because you know what Disney meant to me as a kid. Yes, you had a framed letter from Michael Eisner that you got on your bar mitzvah on our right. wall in our college dorm room. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, I was... I What I've always been amazed by with the company and specifically with Walt Disney, who... Uh, is one of my idols, and I really do believe that John Lasseter is is the reincarnation of that man. It's this ability to cross over into so many different generations, cross over and have such appeal to people who are 90, to people who are two, to people who don't speak any English, to people who only speak English, um, you know, to people who suffer from, you know, incredible um, disabilities, to people who are, uh, you know, successful athletes. There isn't anyone in the world that you can look at and say, oh, I don't know or love Mickey Mouse. Mm. And there's something about that that's very unique. And to be a part of that legacy uh, is 
I'm something I'm incredibly proud of because again, my grandparents grew up as kids watching Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. My mother grew up as a kid watching The Jungle Book. I grew mm-hmm. up as a kid watching The Little Mermaid. My kids are growing up watching Frozen. And so these touchstones become seminal moments in all of our lives. Right. And I think that that's part of what has been um, the appeal for so long is there aren't many companies that for a hundred years have been capturing the imagination of at every a high level. human being yeah. on the planet. Yeah, it, it's no, it's remarkable. It really is, and I think that that letter on your wall, from Michael Eisner, which is so true. embarrassing. I mean, that really is. Uh, it's it's another part of the story that I don't think people realize, which makes me so happy for you that you are getting to be a part of Disney in this way. And clearly they love you. It's mutual. Um, Thank you. So you go through that experience of Frozen. And so was there, was there another, like, what's, how do I top this? Is, is this anything yeah, woman? Yeah, or? yeah, I mean, you know, so after Frozen it becomes, there's, oh my God, I, you know, I hit the jackpot again and, yeah. and now I have to make the right decisions. Um, but I, I, what I didn't want to have happen was to fall into, re, you know, repetition. So I was lucky enough to read this incredible script called The Wedding Ringer um, by Jeremy Gerlich starring Kevin Hart. And I was obsessed with Kevin and, and um, I thought, you know, what a great way to sort of venture out and do like an R-rated comedy. Something right. people wouldn't necessarily... Um, you know, think of me for. And so... Um, was this character based on me? <clears throat> no, that character was not based on you. Okay. Sorry. It's all right. Not all of them will be based on you, right? <laughs> so every three years, I'll base one on you. So, Only the ones that are cultural <laughs> phenomenons. So I, um, I did this movie, and then, you know, again, I started getting um a lot of comedy um opportunities pixels and you know different stuff and and i was once again i was very grateful for that opportunity and thrilled that i got to play with um people who frankly i i I admire the hell out of from adam sandler who we grew up watching to um kevin but again i started to feel like i was falling into this you know trap of doing the same thing again and again and so one day I, I, you know, sort of said to my team, I want to shake things up a little bit. I want to, I, I want the stuff that I'm doing to really challenge me because I feel like a lot of this, I'm so grateful to do and I want to keep doing it, but I, I'm worried that I'm going to bore my audience because I'm doing the same thing over and over. And so I started reading a lot of interesting scripts. Um, I, you know, I was lucky enough to be, um, go, going back to even Beauty and the Beast, I was lucky enough to be offered Beauty and the Beast and it was a great opportunity to sort of marry um, these different skill sets that I did, which I hadn't been able to, we don't get many opportunities to do a live action musical. Right. You've done one, you know, in Dreamgirls. I, I have never had the opportunity to do it. So, you know, Beauty and the Beast came along, um, this small uh, drama called um, 
Marshall, which is coming out this this fall, Murder on the Orient Express, and you know, along the way, I did movies like Thanks for Sharing and Love and Other Ladies Drugs. Ladies and gentlemen, I just want you to know that when you hear that banging, it's not your I know eardrums, your car. I'm sorry, Josh is is very uh, animated in like, real life as well, and he needs to keep yeah, using his hands. I have it's a just... gavel in my hand, which I'm <laughs> banging right now. So you know, it was for me. I'm at this new phase in my career where. Well, I'm still doing the stuff that I've always done and, you know, continuing to bring animated characters to life and do comedies. Um, I'm looking for opportunities to to challenge myself, challenge my audiences and, and, you know, and I'm desperate to get back and do stage. I'm desperate to to do, you know, what you're doing again, because I really Mm -hmm. miss it. I really do. Um, Isn't it? It's it's amazing to me and I, I you know like that you know you andrew a, a bunch of folks that i know who've been in broadway and who've had this tremendous success in tv and film the enthusiasm and want to go back to broadway or be back on stage obviously i get it i love being on stage but i feel like it it's it actually fuels me more being in this show and and being a part of this to just enjoy every second of it because everyone who's away from it for a period of time wants to, wants to be right. back wants to be there and of course you know everyone on Broadway wants to be able to have a TV and film career and to be able because honestly that's a better way that's a way to have a better Broadway career is if you're right. in a TV or or, right. or film show. Um, but it's the, the draw is so strong for you, for for and for it, so it many. Is, why, why do you think that is? Well, I, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing. It's it is the most gratifying. It's the most energetic. It's the most challenging. It's everything that you know we have trained for and when you spend so much of your life um on a stage right getting off that stage is um you go through withdrawal Mm -hmm. you really do and for me there's nothing as pure there's nothing as um energizing like i said as being on a stage and sharing that intimacy with an audience going on that journey together um you see i have a stack over there we're recording this in my office there's hundreds of playbills of different shows that i've been fortunate to see and every one of those experiences as an audience member was as profound for me as i'm sure it was enjoyable for the performer themselves Mm -hmm. right and so to be a part of that relationship that give and take is something that I I desperately long for yeah. again, uh, and you know, I know that eventually I I will get back. But it's it's five year going on five years now since I've put my foot on a stage. It's getting wow. I harder didn't think harder. of that. Right, four or five years. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, we we opened Mormon was the last time you were on a stage. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you left in summer of two thousand twelve. So it'll be five years it'll this summer. It'll be five years. Yeah. Wow. Producers, if you're listening, please call me. I'm ready. 
Oh, please. I'm ready. They, the producers are calling. I'm ready. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, I think, I think that the hard part is, is that when you do something like Book of Mormon... How do you follow? From, that? How do you follow that up? Well, apparently, if you're you or Andrew, you do Hamilton. Well, the I biggest did show of all time, <laughs> but I didn't. I mean, the first the first things I did was two off Broadway shows, A Little Miss Sunshine, and Nobody Loves You at Second Stage, right. which was like in the in that first like six months after I left the show, which was great because it was kind of like under the radar you also and did, not too much. Uh, what was it? Was it um, two gentlemen? What did you do at Little Comedy Boy? of Errors. Comedy of Errors. Yes. Which you were incredible in. Thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, I was able to do a lot of uh, other theater off of Broadway. Um, but I think that that I always talk, end up talking about nerds, that, that whole thing. And I, I actually, I should talk about it with you because you were there I like when I got the email. I like to take a little bit of credit. For yeah, that. I mean, honestly, the... I, I'm not in Hamilton if I'm not in nerds. accepting nerds. Yeah. So it was January 22nd of 2016, and you and I were in a Starbucks. We were talking about. We were talking about your show. Me, me doing, yeah, working on a show that I was writing about uh, singing musicals in my basement as a kid, which I ended up doing at 54 <laughs> Below last year. And uh, I get an email on a Friday saying, hey, this is an offer for you to play Bill Gates. And what did I say? Nerds. And you flipped out. Yeah. I said, I don't think this is real. I said, I never, even, I didn't even know this was coming to Broadway. And you were like, there was an article in Deadline. Yeah, I read about You've it. got to do this. <laughs> you freaked out. I did. And I, I couldn't stop laughing. And remember, I was like, I have to respond back to the director about getting the the script and the music, and you wrote the email because mm-hmm. I was too nervous. nervous to write the email. That's that's me with Jeffrey Katzenberg. I, can't even, <laughs> I get an offer for something, and I I'm too nervous to even re- uh, reply no, was, on an email. I knew that it was the perfect marriage, and I was like, and it really does all work out brilliantly. Like you know. You don't do that show. You never get Hamilton. No, and, and 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 it's funny because it almost just became a huge audition for me, right? To to show what I how you know because as as much as I loved getting to do Elder McKinley, it really was not even a song. It was like a portion of a right. song, you know, leading a, a big group number. And so to get to lead a show and have a casting director, Bethany Knox from Telsey, cast nerds, and then see me do a run through the day after we're canceled. That's why she called me two days later to be in Hamilton. That's crazy. Um, yeah, it, it's it's insane. And uh, you were definitely the person who not, not forced me to do nerds, but you were. You have a way of like giving your opinion that is so oh, yeah. black and white. Like there's it no. It's it, you I, were like you would be an idiot not to do this. I'm it's just all hyperbole. Like, yeah, when I when we graduated. Mm-hmm. And I told you that I was moving to Los Angeles. You said you are an idiot. <laughs> I, I was, was right. so mad at you. I was right. I, you were not right. I, was I got my right. my equity card in L.A. I I know that I'm here living in L.A. now because I had those first few years out of college learning what it was, and I, that's how I met Gary Marshall. Worked at that theater for years. You were wrong. 
Yeah, that's right. I still contend that you would have hit stardom much earlier had you listened to me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, but I mean, it's it's definitely crazy uh, that we were sitting in a Starbucks when that when that happened. Um, So that's the other thing that I want to say, by the way, about living the dream. You can't live the dream alone. Right. Friendship, it it, it is, I think, the most important thing because you need people to fall on. You need shoulders to cry on and, you know, um, bodies to celebrate with. And And people who understand. And people who understand. and, And through thick and thin, you know, you and I have always been in each other's lives during the greatest ups and the lowest downs, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I think that that is so important. And I think that a, a group that you can surround yourself with of people who share the same, you know, pitfalls and, um, and, high moments is it's that's as important as any of the other stuff yeah well i mean i think that it's it it takes a little while to get past and learn how the reality is that other people's success is not your failure other people's journey is not your failure but you need to be beside them and with them when what is that that's my jingle. Why? Why is it? Should tell you it's that. Just, that's my jingle. So like it's it's all being recorded on the Garage Band, and it just started to go off. <laughs> it's basically like telling me it's been an hour. <laughs> so it just went off in my headset. You went, what is that? Well, I just don't understand why somebody's singing in your headphones. Someone, it's me. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I was going to say that you, you learn that other people's success is not your failure. And also that you need to be there for your friends, not just for their downtimes and their failures, but you need to actually be a support system through their success. Oh yeah. That, that some of my, some of my highest points is when I've needed my friends, when I've needed Gerald, when I've needed, because it, the, the fear and the, and the, uh, you can feel a little alienated or like, I don't know. It's just, it's scary. It is scary. And there's, there's nothing like the validation of the people you know closest or the criticism of the people you know closest. You know, right. you want that honesty. Mm. I always want you to tell me, you, you know, you could do better or you're coasting, you know, whether it's you or Seth or whoever is in my life, especially Ida. She, my wife, she yeah. wastes no time telling me when I suck. But it, it's important to remind people of what they can do, what they are capable of. Where, where, what, who they are yeah. and, and why they're in it. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It, it, gets, it gets easier in a lot of ways as, as you go, but it also gets more complicated. You know, as, you know, before we end here is like, I think that another thing that I'll say that's nice is you have... So hard created for you. it's very hard. I know, I can see it. You've created this wonderful family. Oh. And you know, you got married in two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. So you've been married for a while. You have two beautiful daughters. 
who you know I'm obsessed with, who are just the who most amazing people, and and you're a wonderful dad, a great husband, and that's always been something that's more impressive and inspiring to me way more than anything you've done professionally. And I think, you know, especially for a podcast like this, that the the thing that scared me most when I got out of school and realized that I, that I was, how difficult it was going to be as an actor wasn't that I wasn't going to be able to li- uh, live my dream as a, a performer being on stage. It was, oh my God, am I going to be able to have a family? Am I going to be able to afford right. to raise a child and do this like that that just seemed crazy to me um how do you feel like you were able to i mean obviously you know the more success you have the easier it is but really when you got married and we you know there, there were things happening but it's scary always right it's, it's always, always it's, it's always, always scary. scary and it's especially like <clears throat> i think that with what we do there's always this fear. And as Gerald and I are in this, you know, moment in time where we really want to start a family, I feel pretty secure, but I'm like, my God, I'm an actor. This is crazy that I'm going to bring a, a child into my, my home and how am I going to provide for it till it's 18 and beyond? Never stops being scary. Um, you know, I think that... My- <laughs> A, a bigger factor than I ever considered, you know, you, you, nobody can teach you that in school. But one of the big, the biggest factors in making decisions in your life becomes your kids. Right. And how do you, how will your decisions affect them? Uh, you know, I was just away for three months shooting a movie in England. Right. It's not easy, you know, and it takes a toll. And so it's about balance. Um, But I think in general, you know, you go where the best opportunities are and you have to work with what you got and figure out then I'll fly home on the weekends or, you know, you're here right now in Los Angeles knowing full well that you got to get back on a plane tomorrow to do a show tomorrow night. I'm sure that takes a toll physically. And so it's, you make those commitments, you make those sacrifices in some cases, because you have to balance it. Right. Yeah. And it's worth it. Like, it's what it's all for. I feel like at the end of the day, I'm always drawn to people in our business who have a really strong family connection, because I think that they are not just they're not just happier, but they have better careers because they're choosing things out of love and for the right reasons. And I don't know. I, I, I think that that has been a part of your success is that you know what's most important in life. And I think that comes across to audiences that you are a joyful person and that you the 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 kid who loves disney and understands the power of human connection in that way from a young age is someone who can communicate to an audience and make them laugh i was so proud to watch you i was by myself watching beauty and the beast <laughs> and the the belly laughs that you were getting oh. in that theater and to think that you know 
that kid who had the Michael Eisner letter on his wall was getting the biggest laughs in a Disney major motion picture. I don't know. It's 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 crazy. And I think that um, hopefully you can feel that more because I know when you're in it, it's hard to like really feel it. Hopefully through my eyes and through my experience, you can feel that more. And that's... Uh, it's, it is... It never... I never stop pinching myself, as I'm sure you do too. I mean, I, I, I like I remember calling you one night when Obama came to see your show and just being like, the president of the United States of America at the time, um, I won't make any political comments right now, but the president of the United States came to see your show. Well, Hillary came and twice. Hillary came and yeah, everybody. So Obama didn't come when I was there. Oh uh, well, then. I you did you call Leslie? <laughs> then I called Leslie. I confuse you guys so much. I know we look a lot alike. But who was it that came? Or Beyonce? Somebody came when you were there. That I was like, how? Like you're meeting? Yeah, no, no, craziest no, I mean, people I, in the world. You you called me a few times when when uh, people were see coming Instagram in, yeah. pictures. Yeah, like Paul McCartney. Paul McCartney. I think that's you. That got a call from you. But like you're living the dream. Like, we are living the dream. Yeah. And I'm disappointed that you didn't meet Obama now. I'm actually... <laughs> you are. I actually feel like I lost a little respect. I actually you. joined the cast a week after they all got to go to the oh, White House. right. He came like three times too. That's got to suck, Rory. I know. He's going to go back now that I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get him to come to the LA production. Um, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud that we get to take this journey together. And I love that you finally put me on this podcast. I'm... I'm, And only what episode is this? This is the final episode of... (laughs) (laughs) Touche. No, it is... I don't don't know what it... It's probably like 22. It only took 22. Only 22. That's where you... About where you are on my list of... Yeah. Yeah. People. Um... No, I'm I'm really glad that you not only that you did it, but that you want to do it. Obviously, Josh, you were one of the first people that I wanted to talk to, but I wanted I, this is also uh, something that I'm learning how to do is talk to people and how to listen to them and like what this is. And you know, I knew that you were someone who was going to be great, and it, it clearly was a very interesting conversation. And I'd love to have another one again. We'll check in in a year. Absolutely, and, I love uh, that. And see how you're doing. Going to be called living the nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll have to come up with a new jingle. All right, love you. Love you. Audition side job, swimming upstream. Believe it or not, you're living the dream. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? 
Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.